With the NowJobs app, you're only three clicks away from a new student worker. Let us introduce you to the NowJobs app. That's extra help in just a few clicks. No fuss, no administration. Download it now. Available in Belgium, the Netherlands, France, and soon in Germany. NowJobs. Get the job done. Ka-ching! Some podcasts do it for the fun. Some do it for the fame. Chad and Cheese, they do it for global effing domination. That's right. Bringing America to its knees was just the beginning. Now, they have their eyes set on conquering Europe. And they've drafted industry veteran Levan von Neuerhauser of Belgium to help them navigate the old country and bring HR's most dangerous podcast across the pond to trash talk like never before. Not safe for work in any language. The Chad and Cheese Podcast does Europe. Oh, yeah. I had a dream that France beat the U.S. in basketball. <laughs> How ridiculous is that, right? Gotcha. You're listening to the Chad and Cheese Podcast does Europe. I'm your co-host, Joel Fromage Cheeseman. And this is Chad. I told you so. So what? And I'm still just leaving Van Uenhuizen and you keep trying to pronounce my name correctly. <laughs> <laughs> On this episode, M&A, Programmatic Landscape and Google for Jobs, strictly from a European perspective. Buckle up, everybody. Europe has a bunch of countries in it. European. Talent. Intelligence. What does it mean? Imagine a world where it's easier for you to find and know your target group. Where it's easier to recruit and attract the talent you need from a European talent pool. Every year, thousands of corporate recruiters, HR departments and intermediaries rely on Intelligence Group to make that dream a reality. Intelligence Group is the European market leader in recruitment talent intelligence. With innovative dashboards and tailor-made research in 28 European countries. It is our job to empower you as a state-of-the-art, data-driven recruitment business partner. Recruiting with data is great. Recruiting with Intelligence Group is better. Learn more about our services at intelligence-group.nl Intelligence Group, market leader in European talent intelligence. We've got European royalty as a, as a guest host is what I hear. What? Royalty? This is what I hear. It does sound fairly sexy for the chad and cheese podcast to have royalty on the show so leaving you have a surprise guest who did you bring on the show i know you americans you love royalty yes we have in the studio here someone uncrowned but royalty altogether and she could be called the empress of mna with an hr tech i feel it is rika coppens who happens to be my ceo my boss so I'll behave and be even more quiet <laughs> than otherwise. Rika, welcome to the show. Hi. Hello. A little bit more about you, Rika. Tell us, tell us a little bit about you, your, your, what you currently do, what you've done in the industry. We want to hear about this, uh, this royalty part. And more, more importantly, your, your management style for leaving. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like bossing around leaving because that's what he needs. So uh, <laughs> let's start with that one. Uh, apart from that, um, I think, uh, yeah, I, I don't have a big history actually in the industry. I only started four years ago in, uh, in house of HR 
um, and uh, started also as a CEO of Accent, one of the main subsidiaries of uh, House of HR, the best one I do need to say in <laughs> staffing. Um, everyone is trying to copy Accent. Everyone is taking Accent as a benchmark. So I think that speaks for itself. Uh, but yeah, also House of HR CEO since 2017 and very proud to be. We are a bunch of happy rebels in, uh, in House of HR. Uh, and we also say HR stands for human resourcefulness. So the type of person I am. Speaking of happy, what's your favorite Belgian beer? Oh, uh, now it's the Duvel, which means devil, 666. Yes. Six. yes. It's a special edition Duvel, which has the number of the beast on it. I concur. So that just makes it better. That just makes it better. So what makes Accent so much different? Everybody's trying to copy you. Love that. You're the rebels. You like the, like the Duvel. Everybody loves, loves a, a good Duvel. Um, Tell us about Accent, though. What, what makes that different? Why is everybody trying to copy? Uh, because we put human first. Uh, I think uh, we always believe in, uh, in putting the human first. So there's a, a very good delivery model to, towards the candidate, but also towards the customer. So we're very close to them. We mainly also focus on the SME market, small, medium-sized enterprises, um, which is a very good model. And of course, when everyone goes left, we want to go right. And that's what's making us a happy rebel. We've always questioned what the industry is doing by actually trying to do exactly the opposite. I love that. Joel and I embrace that in every beer we drink. She, let me she, yeah, she's on the right show for sure. <laughs> Definitely. We're all happy rebels. Yeah. Excellent. And, and for example, one of our applications, because this is about HR tech, right? So one of the apps that we developed was originating from um, a, a brainstorm session, which we called Kill Accent. So, um, <laughs> and, and now it's one of our most successful applications that is on the market and we're conquering Europe with that. We started in Belgium. We now launched in, uh, as we already previously announced in, in the previous shows in, in the Netherlands and France and Germany is next on the list. So uh, here we come, Europe. Jesus. Very nice. Very nice. Be, be afraid, Europe. Now, Cheeseman, you, you want to you wanna start out with shout outs? Or you sure, want shout outs, man. I, mean, I touched on it in the opening, but shout out to the France basketball team. I'm not sure how this happened, but they defeated uh, the not so dream team, I guess, from the US. And I was trying to think of a, a good analogy of what it would what would equate that. And I thought, well, maybe if the US beat the France soccer team, that, that <laughs> might be a good analogy. So here in the U.S., uh, that was a total shock. Uh, it wasn't like the gold medal game or anything, and there's still a good chance that uh, the U.S. will be in that gold medal running. But holy shit, France beats the U.S. in basketball. I got to give a shout out to them. On Friday's show, you might want to replay it. I told you that the U.S. basketball team was in trouble. They got smacked in their uh, their exhibition prior yeah, they to they look like shit and then they come out against france and dude they're in trouble i literally feel like if you if you rolled out the 92 team with jordan magic Larry, and everybody at their current age they could have beat france so the <laughs> fact that the fact that these bums couldn't beat france in basketball is pretty embarrassing i gotta so, say it's almost as well yeah, no, it's not as bad as Sweden be, Sweden being the U.S. women's team, but it's uh, it's it's awful. Unfortunately, Levin doesn't like football anymore, so we should probably start talking about that. I I <laughs> want to give a shout out to Pink. We talked about on the Friday show that the Norwegian handball team they opted not to wear those slinky 
panty looking bikinis, bikinis. right? Yeah. <laughs> Lingerie. And, and uh, so they were fined by the IOC and Pink said, guess what? The singer Pink said, mm-hmm. uh, I'll pay all your fines. You wear what you want. I love this. What, what now? Now I got to We got to ask the, the, the Europeans in the house. Rico, what do you what do you think about this? Uh, obviously, I support Pink and uh, I do support your shout out. I think indeed um, it's uh, it, it's all about diversity and inclusion. And I think the the way the women were dressed was almost a disgrace. So uh, I would say if they want to wear it, fine. If they don't want to wear it, fine as well. So I'm uh, all up for a free choice. But Levin likes, he likes uniforms though. Yeah, I'm more of a traditionalist. So I, <laughs> I like the, the shorter, the better. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like it a little bit far. And the good old days when they were just wearing bikinis, I think it's a tradition and it's kind of very egoistic of them not to do it anymore. So this is the point where I need to say, as Levin's boss, shut up, right? Uh, <laughs> once in a week, she tells me, Levin, when you're in a hole, stop digging. And then I know Levin, shut up. And yeah. then I mostly do. I, ha- I have to add, this is like the easiest layup in PR history because the fine was $1,765 US. Yeah. And Pink makes that before she wakes up in the morning from residuals <laughs> on. So, like, this was the easiest PR layup in the history of PR. And the fact that not more people were able to grab that opportunity is is pretty amazing. So, sure. shout out to to Pink's, uh, I don't know, agent who who saw this opportunity for a whopping $1,700 to get on the front page of every news site and Too social easy. media site in the, in the world. Jesus. It's about not showing pink, I guess. Ooh. I'm like spending $1,700 for $1.7 million in, in advertising and marketing. That was a Love pretty it. good investment. I could have paid that. Yeah, you could have. Next time, next time. Levin, you have a you have a shout out. Hit us. Oh, that's right. Shout out to LinkedIn for creating LinkedIn Creator, which I kind of like because now everyone can see the big amount of followers I have. <laughs> <laughs> shout out to LinkedIn. Okay, so the creator mode in itself, LinkedIn gets all of this original content from creators on a daily basis, right? Mm -hmm. Do we believe LinkedIn will ever pay for content? Maybe, I don't know, Facebook starts paying uh, creators and then LinkedIn has to follow. Do you think one of them is going to force the other or are they just going to both stay back and hope to get this free content forever? They kind of pay already for LinkedIn learning platform. If you have a very good catalog of... uh lessons you can put them on linkedin learning and they will pay you for it and that's the best content linkedin has in my opinion and the other content on linkedin basically sucks i mean if you go to linkedin and you scroll through all those posts nine out of ten will say something silly about uh, being a good leader being in front of the troops blah 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 but really good content you hardly see it facebook from time to time you can find some funny content and that's the best content Facebook has to offer. Well, you remember we talked about Bulletin a few weeks ago, Facebook's uh, Medium slash Substack uh-huh. competitor. Yep. They're, they're paying an undisclosed amount of money, which I'm sure is Ooh. quite a bit when you're talking about Malcolm Gladwell yeah. being on the yeah. roster. But uh, they added a few more authors. But the Bulletin buzz is pretty much died down. I guess we'll see what happens. But, uh, yeah, you got to pay for quality. And uh, somebody... Forgot to tell LinkedIn, I think. Yeah, Rico, where do you go for your quality content? Well, we try, of course, internally. We have uh, quite some powerhouses inside House of HR. So the good thing is that we always have someone who has had a great idea. 
because we are so many to do different things. We, uh, we promote entrepreneurship within House of HR so they can all do their own stuff and then we exchange best practices. So I do feel that a lot of the best content is coming from the people that are in the field day to day that do their stuff on a daily basis. So looking internally for best practices is where I really enjoy the most uh, looking for good content. She also, she also has us on autoplay. Oh, she yeah. forgot to mention yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, Can I ask something? <laughs> yeah, bring it. It's, um, the best content we have are our vacancies. And we really try to write our vacancies in the best possible way, taking into account search engine marketing, of course. But also, one out of eight by now uh, of our vacancies already has a video added to it. So we use Video Mind Job, a tool which allows all our consultants to record some kind of a movie about the vacancy. And we have 8,000 open vacancies, for example, in Belgium today, something like mm-hmm. that, maybe 9,000. Mm-hmm. And over 1,000 of them have a video next to it. So I'm not sure how this is in the US, but in Europe, this is... Yeah, probably- and we see indeed that 40 seconds, there is a more play t- or watch time on, the, uh, on those vacancies uh, when there is a, a video added to the vacancy. Okay, so I love that. I, I love that you guys are thinking of your your job postings, your descriptions or what have you as content where on our side, they're more formalized compliance mechanisms. Formulaic. <laughs> yeah, but the problem is I always notice people, young marketeers put in their agenda from 9 to 9.30, I'm going to do my social half hour and I'm going to try to find something I can share on social media. And the first three days, it works out perfectly. But after three days, you have to look for something. What could I share? And I feel the best content we have are the vacancies. That's what we do. We don't need to go look for something to share. So let's yeah. let's dig into this for a second, because I think a lot of people have questions around what's the best practices for video. So just tell us a little bit quickly. Are these homemade videos? Do you just turn on the iPhone and record? Is there a, is there a crew that comes in and does these videos? How do you guys, uh, what's the strategy? Yeah, well, we, uh, we actually went looking for a tool. We, uh, we had an innovation contest two years ago. Um, on, uh, and, and out of the innovation contest, the, uh, the video posting came out. Uh, we, start, we thought about developing the tool ourselves, but we ended up in Australia, of all places, uh, with a tool called Video My Job. It's a great tool. Oh, yeah. It's uh, yeah. fully on your phone. Um, it has an auto cue in it, so you can actually, you look very fluent, but actually you're just typing the words into the, uh, into the app. And yeah. uh, it's just your iPhone uh, filming you. Um, and it's working really, really nicely. Yeah, you can add text to it. You can add movies to it. You can add uh, additional graphics to it. Um, so it's a, it's a very easy tool. You can learn it in half an hour, 45 minutes, uh, and it looks really professional as well. And everyone records their own? Everyone records their own. We have had trainings. We've done internal. So now in December, we will do internal Oscar rewards for the best movies as well. Um, So, uh, and we have some uh, lessons with professional video makers on how to make your video look even more professional. Uh, But of course, there are a couple of hints and tips that we share with everyone, like put your uh, phone in a horizontal mode. uh, Don't put it vertically. Make sure that your background actually is not boring white, but that you put some nice flowers behind you or a professional background. So there's a, a lot of tips and tricks that we're sharing with everyone on how to make the video look more professional. All right. Video My Job, everybody. We've we've heard Video My Job. They've been around for a while. And yep. it's interesting and it's awesome to hear that uh, you guys there in, in Belgium uh, actually found 
another product, but it wasn't even in your country or in Europe. So that's that's uh, pretty awesome. The U.S. companies uh, need to start doing the same thing. Well, we're just looking for the best tool. And this was the one where we found had all the features that we needed. Uh, it's quite complex to develop to develop something uh, such as a video tool yourself. So, um, yeah, we don't have the not invented here syndrome in House of HR. <laughs> nice. I got, I got one more shout out before we move on. Hit it. Ted Lasso is back, everybody. If you're not watching Ted Lasso, <laughs> yes, it's uh, I don't know is is calling it the best show currently on TV. Uh, hyperbole, I don't know, no, but it's a great Dr. show. Doctor Death on, is probably really good too. Oh, you're gonna get into Doctor Death with me again, <laughs> you fucker, <laughs> Doctor Death, Death to Peacock, I say. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, it's, it's called Ted Lasso. It's a story about an American football coach that goes and coaches football in the UK, England specifically, and hijinks commence. It's great comedy. It's, Hilarious. it's uplifting, inspirational. Uh, it's a great show. You got it. You got to buy Apple uh, Plus to get it. But if Chad can buy Apple Plus, the number one Apple hater in the world, anyone can buy it to watch this show. It's worth it. Will do. Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso. And with that... Topics! All right, let's talk a little uh, mergers and acquisitions European style. Uh, Listeners will remember we talked about the Lorac numbers a few weeks ago. Uh, So money is flowing into the space. Q2 of 21 set new records for global work tech. Uh, $4.9 billion across 91 deals in quarter two, making it the biggest quarter ever in this space. Uh, 2021 is already the biggest year for the global work tech and VC uh, investment with H uh, with the first half of 21 totals amounting to $7.62 billion. Uh, just a little over 20 of these deals come out of Europe. Uh, seven in the UK, although Levin is quick to point out that the UK is not Europe anymore. Someone <laughs> needs to tell the Americans. Uh, five of the deals came out of France. A few of the notable ones were Beamery, um, Allen, and Malt. Uh, so what's going on here, guys? Let's hear from the, uh, the Europeans. Why so much money? What the hell's going on? Well, I think HR tech or HR sector has always been defined as the sector, which is the last one to to be disintermediated. So I think this is what's uh, happening for the moment. Everyone has a little bit of FOMO, uh, fear of missing out. (laughs) Um, And there's uh, so much money going around that, um, yeah, people really want to be in this space and they just don't want to uh, to actually miss out on everything that's happening in this area. And um, yeah, I think there's very interesting deals out there. There's very interesting applications out there. Um, but there are also things that have not generated one euro of cash. And me having a financial background, uh, I've always learned in the end, it's only the cash that counts. So yeah, I do also like to follow where the cash is coming from in the end. That's right. Uh, you were a CFO before you became CEO, right? Yeah, long time ago. Yeah. So, so right now, take a look at the market. Uh, everybody's looking at uh, the rush back to work, and whether it's in remote form or in the office or what have you, uh, it shouldn't be surprising that so much money is being dumped into the space, right? No, it's not surprising because, of course, I think we all appreciated work in uh, in a way in the last couple of months uh, because yeah. it was, in a way, the only thing that 
kept on going and that was more or less normal. Um, so I believe that we uh, rediscovered the value of work. We rediscovered also the value of colleagues. Uh, being able to go to the office from time to time uh, was all of a sudden a perk. Uh, so, uh, yeah, workspace is, uh, is an important part of our life. Um, and now I think a lot of companies are wondering how will this new environment of work and uh, uh, private uh, actually work? Uh, how do we find an answer to keep employees motivated? How do we onboard employees, which is a, a point also where a lot of applications focus uh, uh, in um, to, uh, to onboard employees from a distance, learning and development tools that are being developed uh, to do more and more learning and development offline or digitally. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of things going on to really help uh, employers and employees find uh, the perfect balance, uh, which I think yeah, for everyone is still a big question mark. We talk a lot about female funding and female founders on this show, and we don't see a, a very large percentage of it happening in the US. What are you seeing in Europe with regard to uh, female funding, female founders, actual female leadership in the HR tech space? Well, there isn't that much around either, uh, unfortunately. So um, I think, uh, yeah, sometimes maybe uh, we're, we're too afraid as women to, to come out. I do have to say our uh, founder, our, one of our founders, uh, Connie van den Driessen, mm -hmm. uh, she started with a fund called We Are Jane, uh, which is actually a fund supporting only companies that are either founded by uh, women or where, that have women leaders. Um, and she has uh, started that fund and there's another fund like that in the Netherlands. So those are two funds that are existing today. Uh, in this uh, in this space uh, to uh, to really support female founders because it's true that uh, women are more reluctant to actually go out there and get funding for their uh, their enterprises that they are uh, that they are going uh, that they are starting up. So you guys have uh, I don't know let's call it a howitzer that you're bringing to the M and A <laughs> fight. Um, you guys are pretty public with the $400 million uh, account that you have to go make acquisitions uh, in this space. Oh, thank battalion. It's not just a so what? Yeah, a whole, a whole <laughs> damn army to go in and, and take over the world. So what, what are you guys looking for? Um, what's the strategy? Are there particular countries, particular technologies? Are you looking to make uh, our, our aqua hires to bring more talent into the organization a big focus? Do you have an eye towards uh, North America and the U.S.? Talk about your your strategy and where you hope to to put that four hundred million. Well, we already did uh, five acquisitions actually, because here's the scoop: our fifth acquisition is a fact. Uh, this will be announced later this week publicly. So uh, what? Uh, yeah, <laughs> indeed. So it's uh, our new powerhouse, Cohedron, which is an acquisition we closed in or we signed uh, at the end of June. Um, with that acquisition, we already did one more bolt-on acquisition in the Netherlands to uh, further deepen our offering in the public sector. Um, so here I already mentioned one of the sectors that we're particularly interested in, that's the public sector for House of HR, uh, which, is, uh, which is a really interesting one and which is further developing in Europe. Uh, Netherlands being one of the first countries really to have opened up for uh, um, staffing solutions and HR solutions in the public sector. Now we see that other countries are also following and uh, opening up in that area. So that's an interesting developing space. Um, apart from that, uh, for us, a good acquisition is an acquisition that is really specialized. 
So they are focusing on a specific sector because we do believe that the knowledge of a specific sector of the candidates, of the uh, profiles that you are looking for is giving a tremendous added value, not only for the candidates, but also for the customers. So that's, uh, uh, that's definitely uh, uh, the first point, being a specialized company. Mm-hmm. We're not looking for loss-making companies or restructuring stories. We want to have successful stories uh, that we add on to House of HR. There does need to be a cultural fit. Um, that's a really important one. People always say, oh, yeah, right. Once you see a good company, uh, you'll definitely go for it. And culture is not important. But I can assure you that we have declined companies because we didn't feel they had the same entrepreneurial drive and spirit as uh, the rest of House of HR. So that one is uh, is also really important. So yeah, a lot of criteria actually that we uh, try to adhere to, and they need to be specialized in different areas, in different sectors. So I think uh, so there's an old adage in the US, uh, uh, a journalist asked a bank robber why they robbed banks. And he said, that's where the money is. So mm-hmm. so when you say um, we're, we're going after companies with a sort of public public market is that because that's where the money is uh are these companies with existing clients because what surprised me was i didn't hear a lot of sort of new technologies or things to add from a tech perspective mm-hmm. it sounds like the strategy is getting in as many countries as possible uh with companies that have a target of of the public markets is that correct no. So actually, okay. we're, public sector is one of the segments that we're serving as House of HR, but we also want to be in construction. We uh, also are in the banking sector. So we try to have as many sectors as possible. So uh, that will add to our, um, let's say, uh, uh, internal leverage in terms of sectors, because when one sector is not doing great, the other one will be stable yeah. or even growing. And that's also why we like public sector, because uh, it's counter-cyclical. Um, so we try to be in as many sectors as possible, indeed, in as many countries as possible, stable countries in Europe. So we're, uh, for the moment, targeting Western Europe. So sorry, guys, not yet coming to the US or Canada. So that's uh, maybe for a next life, but not uh, not in the next couple of years. Um, so focusing on Europe, indeed. So your, your house of HR, are you a house of brands? So when you when you buy companies... Do you roll them up into the, the 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 mother brand? Do you let them keep autonomy and stay the brand they are? What is typically your strategy around around that? It's a very good question. Uh, indeed, we uh, we look at keeping the own brands. Uh, I always say when my when I would have married my husband, if my husband would have asked me to marry him and take his name, I probably would have said no. So uh, that's why we also are. <laughs> so that's why we uh, we also say when we acquire companies, we let you keep your name. It's an identity. In a lot of cases, the founders are still there, so it means that the brand is their baby, um, and you don't take that away. Uh, the human part, again, in our business remains very important. And I heard you say there's not a lot of tech in your acquisitions, uh, and that's true in one side. Um, but we do believe that the future of the HR business is digital, so the, the mix between physical and digital. Um, and the HR tech, we develop in a lot of cases ourselves, or we acquire sub-solutions which which we integrate into our solutions. So that's the way how we approach it. I do feel that a lot of the tech solutions, they only approach one small part or one small segment of the whole HR cycle. 
And it's very difficult if you acquire all of these small ones to integrate them into one big solution. Um, so, and that's where a lot of these solutions fail is that they really try to offer a, a solution or a, a kind of a, a simplification of one particular part of a full process. And companies, they are not open to, to, to acquire or to buy 50 apps to manage their HR process. Joel, did you write that down? Fidgetal? Fidgetal. Write that down. (laughs) When we're talking about tech, it's a hard discussion to have in many cases of whether an organization builds or buys. So when you're talking about innovation, and there's so many different platforms that are out there, point solutions, grander platforms, when you start to look at the gaps that you have within House of HR, how do you how do you actually distinguish whether you are going to build or buy? It's a good question. Uh, and maybe the honest answer would be, we don't have the answer yet on that one. Um, so um, part of it is that we look at the maturity of the application that's already there, um, because there's a lot of things out there that are not mature yet, that have very few customers. Uh, and that are not yet built to to grow uh, massively. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, is also their ability of the applications or the technology to link into other software platforms or other solutions, uh, because a lot of these HR companies or HR tech companies, as I said, they're only looking for a small part of the HR process or simplification, and they haven't thought about what are the typical applications that I should look into, should link into. Um, So um, having the APIs ready, uh, understanding already which other uh, programs and uh, software there is out there with which they should actually leverage their market position. I think those are important questions to answer for a lot of these HR tech companies. So talk a little bit more about the future of HR. Uh, we talk about digital. Is this the time where you focus on the other side? Is that is, is that what you see the future is, where it's not pure digital, it's not pure physical, but there's this hybrid of both? How does How does a company or how does HR look in 10 years from now? Well, we have a vision where we say uh, we have still quite some offices and branch offices where we interview candidates. Um, uh, of course, uh, having uh, inviting a candidate more and more, we, we see video popping up. But in the end also, and, and we have done some questionnaires uh, uh, about that, the, 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 the higher skilled candidates are, the more they are still wanting to have interviews physically and they want to see a, a, a real person. Um, so, but one of our dreams is to have a computerless office almost. So obviously there will be computers, but we do believe that asking questions, asking the right questions immediately, having your matching engine uh, put at work to see where would this candidate fit into? Mm-hmm. What are the questions that you still need to ask? Um, what is the cultural fit uh, in with which company so that you can really give good advice to your candidates and as a company you then become a job coach for life um, so that's uh, that's our dream as a company uh, that we can become a job coach for life for our candidates thanks to the advice that we are able to give them with all the technology that's behind it AI um, uh, soft skill testing uh, but also emotion recognition uh, facial recognition these kind of uh, features little known fact Chad calls me dream coach from time to time let's take oh, a quick break everybody that's our little thing You're so Keep talking a little tech. How about that? Europe has a bunch of countries in it. Everyone deserves their best job. 
That's what Fiji stands for. We make a big difference for independent recruiters with the strength of our fast-growing recruiter network. At Fiji, you can be your best self and work for the company you'd like whenever and wherever. We support you with the best digital and online recruitment marketing. We offer professional business development support, recruitment specialist training, and a bit of rebellious network meetings. Let's join strengths and help more professionals find the job they love. Celebrate recruitment and join Fiji at FYGI.nl. All right. So programmatic. Yeah, let's hit this up real quick because uh, Pando Logic, which, you know, uh, Rika and, and, and Levin, you, you might have heard of Pando Logic. You might not have, but Pando Logic was just acquired last week. We also found out that Vonk, uh, a big player in, the, uh, in Europe, is hopping across the pond to be able to provide programmatic in the U.S. and also, obviously, uh, continuing in, in Europe. So what do you see currently as the state of programmatic in Europe as we see it really slow to adopt in Europe? And if they don't know Pando, they sure as hell know Stepstone, who bought AppCast back in 2019. Do you think they did right in buying it? I think it was smart because they needed roots in the U.S. How is Stepstone going to hop the pond, right? I mean, effectively, other than an acquisition. And AppCast was deeply rooted into just about every recruitment marketing advertising agency here in the U.S. So I, I think it was smart. Now, execution post-acquisition, that's an entirely different discussion. I think you need to start with explaining what programmatics are because yeah. in Europe, if you talk about programmatics, we are thinking about VCR systems, which needs to be programmatic to programmed to tape the right movie. Programmatics is something most HR managers, I feel, will never have heard about. So most, so I'll, I'll give an attempt at a uh, layman's description of it. So in the old days, you paid to put an ad on a job site, for example, uh, and that ad ran on that job board, and then you got the results that you got. Programmatic tells you, okay, put your ad out and we will distribute the job on a variety of websites. They could be job sites, they could be media sites, newspaper sites, um, et cetera. And then we will adjust your budget based on the effectiveness of the ad. So if, if job board A is getting you crappy results and job board B is getting you really solid results, then we will shift more money into uh, job board B um, to make sure that you're getting the most out of your money. So this is obviously a, a huge growth area um, in the U.S. for for advertising uh, your jobs. I think most pretty much every agency, this is primarily how uh, they market jobs for companies. So that's that would be my definition of programmatic. Chad, you can feel free to, to jump in. Um, but this is obviously the trend, I think, uh, where companies are going, um, particularly the inter enterprise level companies. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty common thing here in the US. Obviously, from what you guys uh, in feedback tell us that programmatic is I guess, an alien concept in Europe. I don't think so. I mean, we definitely do it. And of course, uh, we should be doing it. But um, sometimes it's called just differently. We use different terms. If it's like automated recruitment marketing, it's something bigger companies are working on already. Smaller companies, SMEs, probably are not in Europe, which has a bunch of different countries in it. It's a really fragmented market. So there are so many local job boards and there isn't one player which will be able to cover the whole European market. 
you have the global players like Indeed and like LinkedIn, yeah. and then you have a bunch of local players, which probably aren't all integrated within the programmatics. So if Vonk and I'm going to look into them, I know them, of course, but I, I've never worked with them. If they can offer something covering all the countries we're active in, that would be a great gain. But I don't think one of those companies exists yet in Europe, but that could yeah. be wrong. Well, it's, it's interesting because when we traveled to Denmark and then Sweden, uh, I was talking to friends in Denmark and then also in Sweden, and it was like there was a wall between the two when it came to job sites. I mean, you you went with a, 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 a Danish website or you went with a Swedish website. There were a few that crossed over, but not many. And there weren't very many that were outside of those borders. That, I mean, everybody used ones that were specific to that country. So being able to, I'll give you a, a military analogy instead of uh, all this uh, programmatic tech talk. It's kind of like Carpet bombing is how we used to just throw jobs everywhere, right? Whether it, it hit collateral damage of, of having the right person or not, it didn't matter. It hit everybody. Where programmatic is supposed to be more dynamically targeted. Sniping. Yes. M more like a to tomahawk missile or a sniper, right? You know what the target is. You're going after that target. Of course, if you have the money, you can say nuke them all. But if you have to be more careful, then sniping could be the best approach. Generally more effective, not to mention better for a brand experience, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, and nuking, you can only do once. So if you... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's true. I mean... Yeah. Uh, we have that experience. We have our own chatbot technology called Dora. And we do actually, yeah, I wouldn't call it programmatics, but we try to target as good as possible country by country, which tools we are using and which Facebook, Facebook audiences, for example, or LinkedIn audience that, that we uh, want to target on. Uh, we do that manually. So I think it's the human programmatic. But it's true that if you are not narrowing down enough the target group, the next time they won't click on your ads anymore. So you need right. to be very careful what you do and who you target it to. And we do have those tools. There's one in Belgium called Simple and also in the Netherlands. So they are doing it a little bit more automated. But then the question I have when I look at the effectiveness of the tools is when you publish um, an ad the first couple of weeks, you get tremendous success. You then publish your second ad, the success is already a little bit less, and the third ad, it's again less. So the question is also like, what kind of funds do you throw uh, in terms of marketing, do you throw uh, against the uh, the ad campaigns? Mm -hmm. And do they continue? Because then at some point in time, they need to commercialize it and they also need to make a profit. So they're trying to optimize also how much money do I throw into the ads and what is the return? And you start to see that the response is, uh, is becoming less and less. And the question I also have there is, of course, with our good friends at Facebook and LinkedIn, is how much are they kind of engineering the return you get. Mm -hmm. And and for me, that's a big black box still, um, which is um, which is annoying, to say the least. Mm -hmm. Are there distribution tools that are popular in, in Europe? Multi-posters, yeah. yeah. Multi-posters. We have one called Knollenstein, which just for the name itself is a great one. Sounds like a beer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> sounds be. like an, an ancient castle somewhere in the hills of Romania, Knollenstein. <laughs> that's one of the ancient multi-posters. Yeah. And, uh, yeah in our regions. Yeah. But um, do you have experience with real-time bidding in, yeah. um, in uh, recruitment? Because that's something I'm looking into. Yeah, definitely. And, and you should take a look at, again, this is, the, this is a great discussion around like the advancements of some 
of the programmatic platforms that are out there force organizations to pretty much be like day traders where they're constantly looking and they have humans doing the day trading versus other platforms that are doing it through AI algorithms. So there's more of that kind of like, again, onboard computer versus the, you know, the kid over on the side with the joystick. That's, that's interesting to me. And if one of our listeners happens to be CEO of one of those uh, real-time <laughs> companies, please contact me. It's leaving at houseofhr.com. And I would be glad to talk. You're going to get calls leaving. I guarantee you. You're going to get some calls from this episode. They, well, you had them at $400 million. You had them at $400 million. <laughs> so you, so you, mentioned, uh, you mentioned Facebook and LinkedIn and, and the black box that's there. And, and we've, uh, we've talked about Google for Jobs on the show and sort of what they've been doing to sort of clean up some of the spam, to create more features for job seekers to easily apply to jobs more, more, uh, more efficiently. What... Uh, Particularly from Rico, what are you? What's your what's your perspective on Google for Jobs over in Europe? Um, is this uh, something that everyone should be taking seriously, or do you think that it's uh, the jury's still out on Google in Europe? Well, when it says Google, in any case, you need to take it seriously. So, uh, I amen, think sister. Yeah. <laughs> so, with the funding behind it, you would be uh, well stupid if you wouldn't take it seriously. Uh, on the other hand, I did expect more from it, uh, to be quite honest. Uh, mm-hmm. So, it hasn't really. Um, we were ready uh, from the moment we heard Google for Jobs was going to hit Europe. Uh, we were ready uh, in our uh, in our SEO uh, uh, trainings that we had internally how to write vacancies, making sure that Google for Jobs is picking them up. We're still optimizing on that, but. The jury's still out there, I think. Can you share any numbers from what you've seen? Uh, obviously, you're you're posting on Google for Jobs. Do you have any data in terms of what you're getting from them versus the other sources that you have to post jobs or promote jobs? Yeah, and it's still growing, but um, I can only give you the data for Accent right now. I have it's for the other companies as well, but we have 42 brands, maybe 43 now, 43 mm-hmm. brands. So I, I don't know it by heart. But um, Accent, which is the biggest one here, it was quite interesting and fr- uh, quite uh, impressive from the start. About 19% after six months, after the launch of Google for Jobs, 19% came through Google for Jobs, which was a lot. But now yeah. it's stagnating. And I do feel if the um, user experience would improve, then uh, the usage would improve as well. But I heard about uh, the upcoming guidelines. Uh, the guidelines and, and, uh, and the re- not the rebranding, but... Um, we're going to improve it. So the yeah. improvements of Google for Jobs. Yeah, rolling out rolling out some some big changes on being able to I- identify spam jobs, uh, ensuring that there's better user experience. So instead of asking for registration and then pushing somebody to to another registration, that's you know again going to be penalized. Updating your feed. Uh, on a regular basis to ensure that you don't have um, old jobs that are just sitting out there. And I mean, they've, they're doing many different things, uh, but for the most part, they're looking for organizations who are trying to game the system. And there are many of them that are out there. Uh, and But overall, I think the biggest piece is the direct apply markup to ensure that when I'm applying for that job, I'm not going to be whisked off to another site or have to go through three or four different, you know, mm-hmm. hoops or what have you. Uh, I think this is them trying. We'll see how well they do trying to make the the experience better. Did did you get a chance to take a look at that, Levin? Yeah, they give a whole bunch of guidelines uh, about what you should be doing, what you shouldn't be doing, and I feel the decent companies, the good companies, not the cowboys, 
are already doing it pretty okay. And now they're going to try to filter the, the bad ones out. And I think the aggregators might have a problem because their database just isn't clean or as clean as it should be. For sure. And I feel our DBase, of course, it is because we are not going to leave vacancies online, which are filled in. Why should we? I think it might actually improve and it's going to be launched, I thought, the last quarter of this year. October, yep. October, yeah. So when you, when you said... Uh... So you said 19%, but it's stagnated. Did it stay around 19%? Did it dip into single digits? I mean, 19% uh, no. is pretty impressive. No, it, it didn't uh, go down. It just uh, didn't improve anymore. Just stayed around there. Okay. With, um, young people graduating now, might be, maybe we should uh, could see a, a rise. But yeah. we did a recent questionnaire uh, yeah. towards students where we were also asking, what is the job boards that you would be going on to to look for a job? And Google for jobs actually was only listed in the 10th place or something like that. So the mm -hmm. local job boards were still kind of the ones that came first. So it, it goes back to what we were saying in the beginning, like Europe, it's not like the US, it has a bunch of countries in it and each country has <laughs> a, its, a, its local job board. And, and those are the ones that are, some of them actually government sponsored. So those mm. are the ones that are primarily uh. consulted also by, by graduates and by people looking for a job. Well, I think the beauty of Google for jobs is that most won't know that they're looking on Google for jobs, right? They're just doing a search and then yes, jobs indeed. pop up, right? And yeah. then they find themselves on that, on that other, on that other site and, and leaving it. I don't know what it looks like from a performance standpoint for, for others, but I would say 19% is pretty amazing. And I would attribute that to all of your, your hard work at House of HR focusing on the SEO of these jobs, being able to provide all this. And again, you're looking at job descriptions as content. You're not looking at, at it as this formulaic bullshit that we're throwing out there to try to just bait some bait and switch somebody. Mm -hmm. So I think the way that you guys are looking at this, providing video content, et cetera, et cetera, provides you uh, totally. you know, yeah, more of a, a pretty much springboard to get more traffic. The more people engage with job postings from Google, the better your results oh, yeah. are going to be. So you guys Big going the extra mile to provide actual content and video in your job descriptions, I think is going to pay dividends uh, with Google. And by the way, for those who haven't listened to last week's episode with uh, with D from Boundless, the the phenomenon of people moving to different countries within Europe because yeah. their employer allows them to do that, I think is going to put a little bit of a highlight on Google for jobs because people can, can now search for jobs in other countries more easily with Google. Whereas the country specific job boards, it might be more difficult. So anyway, True. keep us up to date on how Google's growth goes with your uh, source. See if it goes up from 19. I think it will. Enrica, I got to say, I appreciate you taking time again as royalty and coming on the show. Levin, thanks for <laughs> thanks for bringing Rika on. Uh, Rika, queen. If, <laughs> Rika, if somebody wants to connect with you, if I want to connect with Rika, how do I do that? Well, LinkedIn obviously is a, is a good place to start. And uh, of course, I'm uh, always reachable at houseofhr.com as well. So uh, don't hesitate to reach out. But then we'll have to pass Sarah, which is the management assistant. But now is a good day. She's on, uh, on, holiday. on holiday. Now you will be able to get past <laughs> yeah, her, yeah. Okay. Otherwise, it could, be, yeah. could be difficult. Otherwise, she guards the door. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks, Levin. We appreciate you bringing her on. Enrico, we appreciate you taking the time. 
You're welcome. And thank you very much for having me. Outstanding. Chad, another one in the books. We out. We out. Thank you for listening to what's it called? The podcast. The Chad. The cheese. Brilliant. They talk about recruiting. They talk about technology. But most of all, they talk about nothing. Just a lot of shout outs of people you don't even know. And yet you're listening. It's incredible. And not one word about cheese. Not one. Cheddar. Blue. Nacho. Pepper Jack. Swiss. So many cheeses and not one word. So weird. Anywho, be sure to subscribe today on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. That way you won't miss an episode. And while you're at it, visit www.chatcheese.com. Just don't expect to find any recipes for grilled cheese. It's so weird. We out! The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.